We are in Mark chapter 2, verse 23 to verse 27. And the outline that you have in front of you says, Freedom from performing. Pamela has volunteered to help out at her daughter's primary school. Uh, even though she's already completely, completely overwhelmed. Uh, well, why is she doing this? Well, she's doing this because she decided some time back to be the best parent for God, as it were. She feels it is better to wear out than rest out. So she is doing all of this even though she can't cope. Because she feels trapped now in this situation. Patrick uh, has been unwell for the last few months, uh, but he never really talks about it. Uh, his health is getting worse, but he doesn't like talking about it. But inside of himself, the situation has left him feeling quite frustrated by this. What frustrates him is not so much the illness. It is that he feels that people in the church um, don't think much of him. He thinks they are disappointed in him because he's not always able to attend church as he should. As, you, as, 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 as they do. So even though they assure him that, don't worry, we understand you know well, there's a deep sense of him that he's letting the Lord down as a result of this situation and letting others down. That's Patrick's story. Jenny uh, is in a different situation. She's feeling very bitter. She has done her best in her life, she thinks. Uh, she makes every effort to serve the church. And she even avoids and believing boyfriends. But God has still not provided for her with a husband. Uh, she feels God has not kept his side of the bargain. And as she thinks about her situation, it has left her feeling, actually, if she's honest when you talk to her, feeling very angry with God. As I thought about the stories of Pamela, Patrick, and Jenny, uh, it reminded me that as followers of Jesus, we are constantly tempted, aren't we, to try and earn God's approval, and even the approval of people around us. I saw something of myself in Pamela and Patrick and Jenny, working hard, and you, you really want God to be pleased with you, and sometimes that leaves you feeling frustrated and even empty. You see, we know in our hearts that we are saved and kept in Jesus by the grace of God alone. We know that. We know it's nothing to do with any hard work. If you don't believe anything else, you're not saved, really, because you believe salvation by works. Those who are truly converted know that it's all done by the grace of God. But sometimes we forget this. Sometimes we think, we think that grace only gets us through the door. For the rest of our lives, we must keep buying God off, a bit like Jephthah. We feel that we need to impress God with great sacrifices in our lives. We think that if we don't do that, we'll lose God. And the result, of course, is that we live as slaves, don't we? Rather than as beloved children of God. And this is not how God wants his children to live. If you are a true follower of Jesus this morning, I just want you to know that God wants you to know that you are his child forever. No ifs, no buts. By grace and grace alone. We are currently in the book of Mark. Uh, you remember two weeks ago we left Jesus answering 
questions about fasting. And, and the people were wondering, why is his disciples all feasting and, you know, no fasting? That was Mark chapter 2, verse 18 to 22. We are going through this verse by verse, so we're just picking off where we left off. And today we are looking at verse 23 to verse 27. This time he's not facing the people, he's facing the Pharisees. They have come to him. And in these verses, Brother Michael wonderfully read for us, we can summarize these verses, the truth of these verses, just in one sentence. Jesus frees us from performing. Jesus frees us from having to end God's favor. Jesus frees us from having to buy God off with our good deeds so that Jesus somehow or God can accept us. That is what I just want to remind you this morning. And you know this already, but we are going through the Bible verse by verse, and I want to remind you of this truth. Just one point, like, interesting enough, two weeks ago. So we just have one point today. And let's see how we see this truth in these verses. Look with me at verse 23. Um, We're just going to walk through these verses uh, verse 23 says, One Sabbath, he was going through the cornfields. We just pause there. That is Jesus. He's going through the cornfields. Um, in other words, we are on the road again with him. And where they are going is they are going to the local synagogue. Uh, the Sabbath is Saturday for the Jews. So this is early Saturday morning. And it seems like the disciples have not had breakfast. I mean, sometimes I have situations like that when I'm just up, and you know this. You're just trying to get somewhere, and there's no time to eat. Uh, and it feels like that. They haven't eaten. Uh, and so, uh, because they haven't eaten, they come across a farm, and they think to themselves, let me help myself with a bit of uh, corn in the field here. Let's read on verse 23. Uh, and as they made their way, verse 23, his disciples began to pluck ears of corn. Now, when I first read this, I started thinking, hold on a minute, why is no one dialing 999 here for the police? I mean, is this not stealing? I mean, how can you just go to someone's farm and start plucking uh, ears of corn and start eating on someone's farm? Well, not to worry. Uh, they are not stealing. This is ancient Israel, not capitalist Britain, where you got... Uh, uh, your farms with guns or something like that. The people of God in Israel at this time actually are commanded by God to allow people to do this. And we read this in Deuteronomy 23 verse 25. You can uh, look it up if you want. It says this in Deuteronomy 23 verse 25. If you go into your neighbor's standing corn, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but... You shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing corn. Uh, some of you don't know what a sickle is. Hopefully you do. But you may not. it's always thinking that you're allowed to go there and eat, God says, but you can't bring a tractor around. You, you can't start harvesting like it is yours. So they're allowed to do this, and it was allowed in Israel for the strangers who are coming, uh, for the orphans. That's the sort of society God wanted them to be. It is a society of justice, we might say. God allowed them to do this because they are one people. So you could do that. But he wasn't promoting lazy living. So you're not allowed to bring a tractor around and just harvest where you did not sow. But that's not what the disciples are doing. They are just following the law and they're helping themselves. They are using the full liberty afforded to them of God's law. So we can picture the disciples there 
filling up on their empty stomachs. But then all of a sudden, they see some men coming. We imagine these men are not very happy with them while they're eating this corn. And we're told here in verse 24 that these men are Pharisees. The Pharisees, as we have met them before, they are a revolutionary uh, group. They are a back-to-the-Bible group. And they are not very happy with what's going on. Why are these disciples eating like this? They've come to Jesus with this question. Look, what is going on here? Why are you allowing them to do this on a Sabbath? Look at verse 24. And the Pharisees were saying to him, to him, to Jesus, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? That is a big charge here. The Pharisees are saying, look, the disciples have broken the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment in the Bible says this. Hopefully you know it. It says this. Exodus 20, verse 8 to 10. It says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now, if you are reading that, you are thinking to yourself, why does that mention that you can't eat corn in a field on a Sabbath? And when you read the Bible, you are thinking that to yourself. Well, nowhere. <laughs> That's the answer. You are on to something. It doesn't mention that at all. God, you see, by his own love and freedom, he had allowed them liberty. He had said, don't work, but he doesn't define what work is. He leaves it to each person's conscience. But the Pharisees do not like that. It's too much freedom. It's too much uncertainty. I want to know what work is. Is it this work or that work? So what they've done is they've written this thing called the Mishnah. And within it, they've come up with 39, a list of 39 things that they regard as work. If you do any of these things, you're not impressing God. And according to them, there are some strange things in there. So there's some obvious things we expect. Your work is plowing. So if you're plowing, that is work. You're not allowed to do that on the Sabbath. Clearly, you're contravening the, 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 the fourth commandment. But there are also some bizarre things, like you're not allowed to tie knots. You, you can't write more than one letter on the Sabbath. That means you're writing a letter. <laughs> you're writing you know, a book, I guess. And of course, you're not allowed to eat corn in the field. By the way, you're also not allowed to walk for more than 800 meters. Because wherever you're going, if you walk for more than 800 meters, you're probably up to no good. You're probably off to work somewhere. So they said, no, that's work you're not allowed to do. And of course, you're not allowed to eat corn like this in the field. So when, they, when the Pharisees look at the disciples, they, they, they are thinking, they are breaking, that goes low. They are doing work. And you know, to them, you see, to the Pharisees, it's all about pleasing God. And, and they've come up with this law system that has nothing to do with God whatsoever. The, the disciples are not breaking the law. This is just about the Pharisees trying to impress God. And they want everyone to see them as hard workers. And of course, living like that is very exhausting. Uh, it's very hard to just maintain a good image to your neighbors. Uh, it is very hard. Brother Michael, you've been married for 56 years. It's very hard just to impress our wives, isn't it? <laughs> now imagine trying to impress an all-perfect God. It's tiring. 
And so they get tired uh, and they have no peace in their heart because it's all about trying to impress God. God is perfect and they can't and so they have no peace. But that's not just the problem. The problem is that they're not just tired, but they also want to enslave others. They're not just slaves of the law, they want to enslave others. So the Pharisees are really control freaks. They go around uh, with a clipboard, right? They are, they are monitoring everyone on the do's and don'ts. Has, has she done this? Has she not done that? And if, if they find that you've you're, you're, you got more don'ts than do's, well, you're a reprobate. You are not a true believer. They are slave owners, we might say. They enslave people by their legalism. Rule follow. As I thought about this, I thought to myself, hmm, these are very nasty people. But then the Lord helped me to pause there. I said, look, hang on a minute. These are not, they are not Judas. They, they, they are not like Judas Iscariot who sought the Lord here. These Pharisees will be church elders today. Why do I say that? Because they are well-meaning people. They know the Bible inside out. They have memorized the Torah, the five books of the law, by memory. I don't know if anyone has done that here. They know Genesis. You can mention a verse, they'll tell you what it is. They know the Bible. And as I thought about it, actually, I thought, the more I thought about the Pharisees, the more I realized they are no different from most people in our churches today. Many professing Christians try to live like the Pharisees. They try to live trying to get God to become proud of them. And they're not satisfied with that. They go around bossing everyone. They want everyone to fit in on the clipboard, as it were. They're, they're like, you know, doing end-of-year appraisals constantly when they meet you. And many Christians are like that, aren't they? Now, don't get me wrong. God does want you to live free from sin. He wants you to live holy life. But he does not want you to do it because you want to earn his favor. He wants you to do it as a response. In the same way a parent doesn't want their children just to do it because the mother said so or the grandma said so. You want them to do it because they love you and what you're asking them is good for them. But sadly many of us don't live to God like that. We relate to him as if we are slaves. So let me ask you this morning. How is your relationship with God? Just think about that for a minute. Would you say it's mostly about trying to buy God off? Or would you say it's mostly about responding back to, his, to, to the love he's given you already? Why did you decide to come to fellowship this morning? Is it because you feel you have to put in some time for the Lord? Or is it because you truly love Jesus? What about the money you have given to the offering perhaps in the last week or today? Why, why do you give money in the church? What motivates you to do this? Is it so that God could bless you in return? Or is it a gift because you're just thankful. Lord, you've done so much to me, so I just want to give you back. You know, when you think about when you came into the chapel, when you entered the chapel, or sometimes when you come into this chapel, do you feel you have to put on a plastic smile? Even though your heart is breaking underneath 
with many problems? Do you feel you have to pretend when you come here? Do you feel you need to look happy because actually people in the church need to see that your life is okay, that your world is not falling apart? Do you feel we as a church are not very accepting of your true self? Think about that. You know, when a person comes from outside who's from a very difficult background, do you think when they walk into this church, they will think that us as believers, we people that accept them with their messiness, their smell, their whatever is messy is going on in their lives? Or do you think they would think us here would judge them like the Pharisees? What about your worship? When you come to church, do you feel you can't lift your hands to worship God? I mean, literally. Do you feel you can't do that because you're worried about the person sitting on the other side? Or perhaps they'll think, oh, you know, <laughs> here comes the runaway charismatic. Do you feel that? Do you feel that worship here is quite constrained in that sense? That you, you feel you're being judged in the way you worship God? Do you feel like that? What, what about... Maybe it's the other way around. Do you always find yourself telling other people that they are out of line? Perhaps you see somebody say, pass a comment. Do you feel the age inside your heart to correct them? Perhaps a brother comes and reads something from the front. Are you, are you just happy to accept that they're different from you? Are you happy to just go there and say, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that? Or perhaps a Christian hasn't been in church for a couple of weeks. Do you feel that you, you are wondering, you're now questioning their salvation? Do you ever get like that? I thought about this question for myself as I come here to preach. If I speak to somebody afterwards and they maybe pass a comment that they didn't appreciate what I was talking about, or they found the sermon boring, or perhaps they were sleeping in the service, how do I react to that? Am I crushed that perhaps I didn't perform well? Uh, these are difficult, painful questions, even for me, standing up here, telling you about them. But I thought about that. We need to face these questions, isn't it? Because unless we ask that question about whether our relationship with God is about love, a response of love to him, or it's more about trying to earn his favor. Unless we can face that, to know where we are in our work, we can't benefit from the answer that Jesus gives the Pharisees next year. And it's a wonderful answer. You see, the Pharisees want Jesus to explain how we can allow the disciples to break the law, the law as they see it. How is Jesus going to respond? Let's look at that in verse 25 to verse 26. This is how Jesus responds to their question. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in a hurry and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, or in the passage about Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus, as always, has this wonderful counseling technique, we might say. He always answers a question, or a parenting technique, a question with a question. And in this 
question answer. He mentions this passage in First Samuel chapter 21. You can look it up. It has a story of David in his Robin Hood days. You know, when he was running away from, from King, mad King Saul with his outlaws. And one day, David was desperate and he was starving. And he entered the tabernacle. Uh, it was actually during the days Ahimelech was a high priest at the time. But his son, Abiathar, succeeded him later. And Abiathar was present. And David entered the temple and just ganged up on this food and started eating, I guess. And, uh, and was very, 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 very full and, and that. Now, Jesus here is mentioning that David actually broke the law. He did. Uh, and the reason Jesus here mentions, by the way, Abiathar rather than Ahimelech, because Abiathar was more of the more famous son. In fact, the rendering of the text in some passages, it says, in the passage oh, about Abiathar the high priest, rather than in the time of Abiathar the high priest. It doesn't really matter. Jesus is mentioning Abiathar because Abiathar is the more popular of the two figures. He said, look, if you don't know about this, remember Abiathar, the man with David, go read about it, so to speak. They should know because they know the whole law by heart, so to speak. They've read the Bible. And the point Jesus is saying is this. is that, look, David broke the law. David, King David, broke the law. But you never read anywhere in the Bible where God condemns him for it. Why is that? Well, the answer is in verse 27. Let's read verse 27. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus is, in other ways, saying, look, that God looks at the heart. And the point here is, according to Jesus, the fourth commandment was given by God, or the law, in fact, was given by God, not to turn you into a performing robot, but to bless you. He says the law is for human flourishing. Do you see what Jesus has done? It's amazing. Jesus is amazing. Of course he is. And he's turned the whole thing on his head, isn't it? On its head. He's saying, look, living for God is not about performance. It is about receiving the goodness towards us. It is not about what we do for God. It is recognized that God has already done things. He's already created the world. He's already given us rest. He's already given us the law for our good. And Jesus here is focusing on the origin and intent of the law. He said, what is it? It is a gift of love from God. So let the fact that God loves you and has given you this thing drive your response back to him. Don't focus on the letter of the law. Focus on the spirit of the law. Now, we can imagine the Pharisees now thinking to themselves, okay, 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 fine. We hear you. Uh, but... Who are you to say what the law should be about? I mean, honestly, King David we know. But who are you? Uh, you are just a nobody, a carpenter. That's probably what they are thinking. And it seems Jesus anticipates this question from them because look how he ends in verse 28. He ends this with a very amazing statement. He says this in verse 28. We can read verse 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, Therefore, or so, or just like that, so the Son of Man, that is Him, is Lord even over the Sabbath. 
Now already if you've been with us in Mark, you know that the title Son of Man is an Old Testament title of God's promised king who is both fully man as the last Adam and fully God as the son of God. And Jesus here is saying, I am that person. Now, do you remember what I said at the start? I said the disciples have not broken the law, okay? Nothing like that. They've not done what David has done. So Jesus doesn't need to go into all of this. He could have just said, okay, move along, move along. Nothing here to see. He could have said that. No one has broken the law here. What are you on about? Just move along. Leave us alone. Jesus could have said that to the Pharisees. He would have said, just go read your Bible. Deuteronomy somewhere. You know, 23, 25. Go read it. This is not breaking the law, right? He could have said that. But he doesn't do that. Why doesn't he do that? He goes on about David and the Son of Man, etc., etc. Why is he doing that? Well, because he's saying to them, you see, you have no problems with King David. Well, just think about this. I am greater than King David. King David really broke the law. My disciples are not doing anything like that. And you have problems with me when I am greater than King David, when I am God in the flesh. He's saying, look, stop looking at the law. Look at me. I am here now, God in the flesh. I have come as a man to tick all the boxes for you. He's looking at them perhaps with love, saying, look, you don't have to end God's love. Because I am God, and I am offering you my hand of love. So surrender to me and be free. Forget the Mishnah and the to-do lists. Look to me now. And you know, as I thought about this, the good news is this, that Jesus is not just offering this freedom from performing for the Pharisees. He's offering it to every single person here this morning who comes to him. You see, Jesus has not just, you know, the law is there. Uh, the to-do list is still there. But Jesus has gone through all the law from... Um, Genesis to Revelation, we might say, because the entire thing is full of those. And he's ticked every box. He's passed. Exception of performance, you know, as they do it, end of year appraisal. Exceptional, exception, exception, exception. A star, we might say, right? 100% score. He's done that. He's lived a perfect life, but he hasn't just done that, lived a perfect life. Jesus has ticked the most crucial box every human being must tick to be accepted by God. Jesus has ticked the box for us. He has ticked the box of death. You see, the biggest burden of the moral law is that every soul that sins shall surely die. You are a sinner. And so, by nature, you are already dead before God. But Jesus has gone up to the cross and died the death you deserve. He has ticked the box of death. Right? For you. And if you have surrendered to Jesus, you are now alive with God forever. That's the good news of Jesus. Everything has been done for you. Include because Jesus has ticked the box of death on the cross for your sins. He's died the death you deserve. You can have life with God now. Now, all of us here this morning are at different points in our lives. Some of you have not surrendered your lives to Jesus. I know. 
and you are sitting on the fence when it comes to these issues. You say, yeah, Chola, that's interesting, but I'm still on the fence. Some of you <coughs> think that in the end, all religions lead to God. You've thought about this. You say, oh, it's an elephant. We're all touching different parts of the elephant. We have bits of the truth. We're just blind people. You hear the Hindu tale, don't you? Except someone knows it's an elephant and it's God. And he's telling you that this is an elephant, right? But you don't get that just yet. So you think all truths lead to God somehow. So you have not come to serving knowledge in Christ either. Some of you were baptized as infants and, and you're trusting that. Or perhaps you're brought up in a certain church and you think, that I've got that religion already. I, I, I'm going to heaven based on that. Other people are relying on another religious custom. I spent time this week with a man who told me that he's very religious actually and he's, he thinks he's going to heaven because he's, he's got a crucifix. He tells me this actually. So on one hand, on, in my house I have a crucifix here and I'm, I pray to that every day. And here I have some, some, a gift that was given which was bought from the Vatican, he said. Blessed by the Pope originally. I don't, I, I don't believe that. But somehow. He says it was and he says, I pray to, you know, I pray and I speak to God through these things. Uh, that's my religion, he said. And he says he's okay with that. Well, this passage is saying, look, life with God is not about any of that. It is not about what we do, crucifixes or whatever it is. It's not about that. It comes through God reaching out to us through the nailed hands of Jesus. Taking all the boxes with his nailed hands. It comes through only surrendering to Jesus and having a relationship with him. And that's what Jesus is offering the Pharisees here right now. It is what he's offering you right now. A relationship with God based on what he has done, not based on what you do. All on him, you bring in nothing. Have you accepted that offer? Because you see, Jesus cannot force you to accept this. Some people think everybody's going to heaven. No, Jesus cannot force you to accept salvation. All of us want God to treat us as adults, and he does. So he's given us the choice to respond to him. So what is your choice this morning? Do you surrender to Jesus now or not? The Pharisees didn't. And their end is destruction. Some of you are trusting Jesus. Praise the Lord. And yet, like Patrick, Pamela, Jenny, and I would say myself, we are facing temptation, isn't it? To rely on our performance before God. I don't know why you are trying to end God's favor. I see it, but I don't know why some of us are trying to end God's favor. I can't even understand why sometimes I try to end God's favor. It just doesn't make sense. I thought about this and I thought maybe it's because sometimes perhaps in the past you may have committed a sin or something like that and somehow you feel, even though God has forgiven you, you feel you can kind of impress him back still. Maybe God might just change his mind. Or maybe sometimes you're praying for something you really want and you feel, look, I really want God to serve you know, my child. Or I really want God to give you more children. Or whatever it is that you want. And you feel you must do extra for him, for him to answer that. 
Or maybe just because in the past, many people have let you down. And somehow you feel God is the same. We have have first disappointments, haven't we? And it's difficult for us to understand that Jesus is nothing like people around us. He accepts us first, then he begins to change us. And so because of that, you, 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 perhaps you, so many, another reason, for whatever reason, you're working hard to please God, and it's not working, because it can't work. Jesus has already saved you. It's in fact a waste of time. It is a waste of time trying to impress God. Accept his love first. You see, Jesus is saying to you this morning, this passage, my child, you're trying to please me, working hard to please me. What you don't realize is that I'm already thrilled to beats with you because you are my child. Don't be like the Pharisees who try to create new rules to please me. You can't. I'm altogether perfect. And know this, I have already set you free from performing. So just receive my love, Jesus says. You cannot do anything that will cause me to love you more than I already do. I know you and love you completely. And I'm working every day by my Holy Spirit to transform you into my image. I am doing the work. So let me get on with it. Let me do my work. Just accept and rest in my love. Beloved, let's hear the voice of the Savior in this passage. Because you see, once we hear his voice and we accept this truth, once we realize we are already accepted in the Beloved, once we get this sensation of good news of Jesus, we will have the courage to take off our mask of performance. It's so liberating. It's so liberating to come and preach to you this morning knowing that God is not sitting there trying to take me off. I can just ramble on. I sound almost antimonian, don't I? But it is liberate. But notice that knowing that doesn't make me want to do less as such. It just means I don't do it in my own power. I know I'm already loved and accepted. Because once we accept that we are accepted in the beloved, something strange starts to happen. The sins you struggle with start disappearing. Why? Because you'll be full of Jesus, basking in his love. Parents know this already. Once a child really knows their love, they they just come and confess, Mommy, I did that. I did that. I did that. Please help me. That kind of thing. But if they fear the parents, they they have to end the parents' favor. They don't even confess, isn't it? Many of them run away from home. That's what begins to happen to a believer. Once you know you are accepted, sins just start disappearing. You are weeping before the Lord because he loves you so much. You know, you begin to impact people around you without even trying because they know that you are happy in the Lord and you are so free. And this church would be different, wouldn't it? Many broken people will start attending this church without us even telling them. They'll just say, oh, I met so-and-so in the shopping mall. They were so happy in the Lord. And they, can, they could just see Jesus in there and say, I wanted to know which church do you attend. 
And when sinners come here, when people who are in the mess walk you through our doors, there we want to know about what's so different. Why am I so accepted? Why is that? Because when we are truly freed from performing, we start growing in loving Jesus for Jesus. We grow in loving him for who he is, for what he has done for us. So I just want to encourage you this morning as we come to an end that just come before the Lord this morning first of all, thank Him for what He's done for you. If you're truly trusting Him, just thank Him. Breathe a collective sigh of relief. Well, breathe a sigh of relief as I like to breathe. And just thank Him for being in your life. Thank Him for taking all the books of the way to the cross and for being part of His kingdom. And then repent of trying to earn His love. Ask Jesus to open your heart just to trust his love. To receive that freedom from performance. Well, may the Lord help all of us to enjoy our freedom in Christ. Amen.